Present day. <laughs> Present time. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Pen Pen Pals for our continued discussion of Serial Experiments Lane. I'm Alex. This is Blixa. Hey, and it's Ben. Uh, and today we're going to walk through layers eight and nine. And to do that, we have uh, an old anime head with us, a returning guest, friend of the show, Damien. Hi. And, and I think I was just uh, Googling this to check, but so you've been on twice, Damien, is that right? Back in the original Evangelion series and then again for pranks? Correct. I've been on twice. Well, this makes a hat trick. And that makes you a friend of the show. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, and you guys are friends, right, Not Alex? real friends. That was the original connection. Not friends in Not real, real life. Not real friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we met doing uh, uh, mutual aid work and uh, uh, struck up a conversation about revolutionary girl Utsuna and some other, or anime that was contemporary to our adolescence. Hmm. Damien. Yes. What is mutual aid? God, you just like put me on the spot. Yesterday, I literally explained it to somebody who walked up to us and was like, "Are y'all? What are y'all doing? Are you selling stuff?" And I'm like, "No, it's mutual aid." And 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 they're like, "What's that?" Uh, mutual aid is not charity. Mutual aid is the community helping the community. So basically, all of us participating together to sort of like come together and get everybody's needs met. So you need food. We got food. You need toiletries. We've got toiletries. Asking people also, what do you what do you all need? What do you want to see us bring every week? And then, you know, it's also caused us to kind of all as a group uh, be able to help each other out as well. And it's been lovely. And that's how I met Alex. I think that the real story is that you we're very motivated to come and pick me up because I was the purveyor of the coffee. Yeah, what? Yeah, but me? <laughs> coffee? Never. <laughs> and I don't know if we've discussed this on the pod, but Alex has moved out to the West Coast now. And yeah. so I was curious uh, if if you found something like mutual aid out where you are. I have not. Uh, California has made me lazy and soft, uh, but um, I, I will be looking around. Um, it is hard to replace, you know, you can't replace the group that I was working with. Uh, so that's still a, a little bit of an emotional burden to, to getting on to a new uh, organization. Yeah. But what's confusing is that we only do things if we're profit motivated. So how the hell does that work? Yeah, and that's like a big thing about mutual aid is like one of the guiding principles generally trying to like get rid of as much hierarchy as possible so that the resources go to the people who need them instead of it fueling a, a, an NGO or a, a, you know, a nonprofit organization because those things require money to keep them going and we want the money to not go to overhead. We want it to just go back into the community. Sounds hot. Okay, so before we watch this first one, Damien, do you have any experience with Serial Experiments Lane? Have you watched it before? I have. And actually, hmm. I watched this show at a very interesting time in my life. I was 20 the first time that I saw Lane. Sweet summer child. I was going through some shit and uh, we can talk about probably more of that after we get into the episodes, but definitely uh, in terms of mental health and uh, things that were happening to me at the time, I feel like that show really impacted me 
And it's also part of why I've I've never watched it again until now. Wow. Yeah. So Hmm. it's been like over 15 years since I watched it last. And it's been very interesting to go back and watch it and see like, well, how much do I remember and remember like how impactful that was at the time? Right. Yeah, I feel like this series over time, memory kind of fails you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the linear narrative, at least, is not like very tight. And I think that's, you know, on purpose. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I think that's a good point. I've been like, man, I forgot so much of this show. But it is, I think, just really hard to to remember it because, yeah, the narrative jumps around and it has so many weird twists and turns and little side parts that are easy to forget about. Yeah. And and what is real and what is a hallucination and but I I I feel like I'm coming to the conclusion that there are no hallucinations. Everything is real. <laughs> Last time on the Lane Tricks. Lane Iwakura's ability to project into the wire was growing easier and more sophisticated, while her internet persona's dips into the physical world grew more blatant and startling. Walking down the street, Lane noticed a child staring up into the sky under a crisscross of power lines. Later, while socializing with Alice, Julie, and Reka in the city, an image of Lane straight out of an Enlightenment painting appeared in the sky, though only children seemed to fully perceive it. Shaken by the sight and determined to discover the origin point of these anomalies, Lane set out into the wire. After suffering a Cheshire Cat poser lightly, Lane met the wired persona of an Operation Paperclip-style scientist, Professor Hodgson, who was sunning himself in a virtual solarium. Hodgson revealed his life's work had been uncovered by the Knights, who may be using his techniques to harness the psychic potential of children. Back in the physical world, Lane spied the men in black outside and ran to confront them, just before the coolant system in her navi exploded, presumably destroying her whole room. But in our next layer, Lane's navi seemed undamaged, even expanding beyond the confines of her four walls. And as her rig hung out the window, the Wired found another conduit into physical reality in the form of a terminally online hacker, sporting a hardcore industrial version of Google Glass. The men in black finally made amiable contact with Lane, promising to deliver her to someone with answers. At Tachivana General Laboratories, an older man explained, next to nothing, but we did get confirmation that the men in black and the knights are at odds. After traumatizing Lane with basic questions about her family, the old man implied that Lane might be playing the Keanu Reeves role. And meanwhile, the knights terminated our terminally online hacker. Will Lane reconcile her confidence with her lack of backstory? Will she be forced to confront her former benefactors, the Knights? How does it feel to be 14 and a metaversal messiah? Let's find out. Thank you. When you say those episodes that way, it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Rapid fire. I got all of them. And I guess we're about to start uh, layer eight of 13. So I guess the last episode was our halfway point. And we're we're in the back half now. We ready? All right, three, two, one, play. That's intense. Yeah, yeah. Like, where do we even start? That was a lot. So we get this voiceover that says, So you want to be hurt too, do you? Do you want your heart to feel like it's been scraped across with a rasp? If you do, don't look away, whatever you do. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if that's Alice, but because the voice actor is like whispering, it's like very hard to tell. I don't know. That's a strange and ominous way to start this episode off. Like we always get these uh, uh, these quotes to start the episode off, but I don't know. I, I, I can definitely identify or not identify, but like I can see that sentiment, especially with like online usage. Like you can you can hurt yourself real bad just by staring at the internet too long. Oh, yeah. Mm. It just sounded like, kink talk to me and it's called rumors and it's about salacious 
sexual rumors. Oh, right. Okay. And so the big rumor is that Alice is somehow entwined with this teacher we meet in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's sort of, I think it's a little bit ambiguous whether something actually happened between them or just she has these like fantasies about him and somehow that has spilled out as a rumor. I felt like it was implied that it was kind of her like mind jollies and that somebody in the wire found out about it and then put it out there. Yeah. Okay. You know, the the implication being that Mean Lane did it. But what is what is Mean Lane doing while, you know, real quote unquote Lane is just chilling? Well, apparently snitching on her friends and colleagues like this is really bad behavior. Yeah. Okay. so she meets this. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be there. There was like a a stripper or something. It was like high heels and this impossibly long legs and it was shimmering and you didn't get to see the whole person. But because you didn't didn't get to see the whole person, I couldn't figure out if the voice was separate from that body or if that was like it was a, a very masculine voice. But it seemed like this was a form that mm. that person could present, you know, in the wire, which is, you know, the Internet is a very freeing place for a lot of people because they can be more of who they want to be. They're not constrained by their physicality. I, I saw much. this as more one of those like Evangelion scenes where they have the conversation on like a bus or a whatever that like she's meeting with this shadowy figure and they're like doing it at this virtual strip club or something. And we're we're hearing this voice from off screen. Mm, that's how I took it too. And, and I guess she's continuing her investigation of stuff from the previous episode, right? So she also talks to that kid from Siberia while he's playing a game and she's asking him questions about, you know, the God of the Wired. And, and we get this little remark where we see her say, like, the door plate said Tachibana Lab. And I, I think that's something that came up in the last episode that we didn't talk about. So when those guys led mm-hmm. her to that building and she met with that dude in the room with the computer on the floor, evidently there mm-hmm. was a sign on that building that said Tachibana Labs, um, which is mm-hmm. the company that, like, makes her Navi. And I think her parents may work for it, too. And I think you mentioned it before, but isn't Tachibana kind of a pun? Like it means it's a type of pear to make it like a joke off of Apple computers. Yeah, or an orange, I think. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Orange makes a lot more sense because you can compare apples and oranges, right? (laughs) (laughs) And we got this like breadcrumb, I felt, because it seemed really important because Lane talks to this other person about seventh gen protocols yes and then later in the episode we get a mention of sixth gen protocols so like i have no idea i'm totally in the dark about that i assumed it will be more explained maybe even in our next episode yeah so i i can't remember at this point if it's already been explained or just kind of like somebody said it but sixth gen protocol is essentially in universe of the show the contemporaneous internet protocol Okay. Um, and seventh gen is like this is the next one that's being you know worked on that hasn't come out yet. I hear people sometimes talking about web web 1.0, web 3.0. Like, is it that kind of a thing? Yeah, I don't know if the analogy might be something like 4G versus 5G or something like this uh, building block that uh, is getting upgraded. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Web 1.0 is like business and user, and then 2.0 is like peer to peer. And 3.0 was like, I can't remember, like blockchain. Yeah, that's been my understanding. Well, it's like if if our next version, you know, 4.0 is 
completely immersive VR, you know, we're able to kind of like live in a significant, a significant portion of our lives, like in the net, mm. sort of online, like things like that. Like full dive. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like where this universe is sort of going. Sure. That the kid that we met that was playing kind of the sword art online kind of uh, RPG, he had this giant sword, right? Much like uh, the Buster Sword from Final Fantasy VII. And actually, when we first see him, he does like a little move that's the same as when Cloud puts the sword back on yeah. his back. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so definitely, this is being influenced by Final Fantasy VII, at least. That you know, that came out what a year or a couple of years before this. Yeah, really close to when the series came out. So, so after the uh, sixth, seventh generation protocol stuff, uh, we go back to Lane at home. Um, we've got her sister like completely out of it again, just like sputtering nonsense. Yeah. Her parents are like even creepier than usual, just like sitting next to each other, staring straightforward, expressionless. She tries to confront them about how she heard that they're not her real parents. And she's like sort of having a breakdown as she does it. Um, and they just like glare at her. And then I guess we go to school and now her friends have kind of turned against her, mm. except for Alice, who kind of questions her, you know, ask her, did you do it? Like, I don't want to believe it. Um, and then, you know, seeing Lane, you know, doesn't seem to know what she's talking about. She kind of like trusts Lane, but it seems like, you know, the friends are still suspicious of Lane. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she gets this text in class um, that she's a peeper and you know it seems like everyone at school is suspicious of her and so, so the episode is called rumors but we have kind of like two layers of rumors right so mm -hmm. one is this rumor being spread about alice and the teacher but then there's this other rumor that lane is the person that spread the rumor and kind of interestingly it doesn't seem like alice is getting bullied at all it seems like basically it's just like Lane is getting bullied for being the bully sort of <laughs> or something. I, I don't think Alice's secret is out yet. I think there's just other rumors at that point. Hmm. Well, she says, I don't believe it, but you didn't do it. Did you, Lane? Mm -hmm. So like, what could she be talking about? Everyone else's rumors. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah, I, th I think that it's also interesting. I think, Ben, you said that there's kind of two layers to like the rumors here because lane is on the her little like mobile navi and kind of like goes into the net for a little bit and everybody's sort of chattering and there's all these rumors happening that you know don't have anything to do with school and school friends and then mm -hmm. she kind of comes to and, and exits out of that so it's like there's rumors that she's kind of dealing with navigating in the wired and then also in physical life yeah uh so that scene where she's seeing these like body their bodies and they have mouths but there's no faces and they're just like chattering away rumors that's also where she first meets this like voice of god within the wired right this silvery amorphous blob that speaks to her fairly cryptically but gives her some actual answers We've heard this voice before, so I don't oh, think okay. we've seen it like manifested, but but some of the same ideas about like beginning of one of the episodes, I think around maybe four or five, where I think the same voice is saying this stuff about like your body's just a hologram, give up your body, it's just like slowing you down. And then this time it tells her that what she thinks of as Lane what she thinks of as like her physical form and everything it tells her that's not the true lane 
the the real lane is the one that's in the internet, the one that's ever present, the one that's spreading these rumors, and that this physical lane is just a hologram of like her true self in the wired. Hmm. Yeah, and I think he says like the voice says to her like you're omnipotent essentially. You know, he's like, yeah, you're you're you you have the ability to like be everywhere like in the wired and you know she i think she asks a question and he's basically like no I, i'm not that powerful but you are like you could do something like delete everybody's memories if you felt like it hmm. that's two things so the big question i want to ask is who is the false lane but before we get to that the faceless mouths uh, i felt like that was a internet commentary uh the theme is rumors and we have people all over the internet and they can say whatever the fuck they want. And they have certain levels of anonymity, even if they're using their real name online, we don't really know them, but they can say whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then like the, the thing about through probably I'm guessing the wired, you know, at least partially the wired, the, the lane is a peeping Tom, you know, cause that appears on the, on the little, you know, device, you know, who started that rumor? There's no way to like, even know. And I like that you brought up that Blick said that it's like, you don't know, like everybody can hide behind like avatars and shit like that online. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the, the thing that happens with like Lane is a peeper is also kind of like, and how everybody is then like staring at her. It's like this universal reaction. It's kind of like a, this high school version of like what everybody decries as like cancel culture, which like I think is, you know, a lot of things are like BS. It's like most of the time that's just consequences. And I think mm -hmm. it's interesting how it shows that like already at that time when that anime came out, this idea of like, yeah, the like shaming, like public shaming yeah. amplified through like online platforms and whether it's called for or not, like it just makes it accelerate in a way that is like unstoppable <laughs> mm -hmm. did anyone here like anticipate something like QAnon, like having such an impact on the culture like an, a voice of authority that what is its authority where does it come from like they're not right. identified it's just literally faceless mouths saying things yeah on a shit posting board no less <laughs> and then you've got stuff like you know the chan boards mm -hmm. where it's literally just like there's no way to know who these people are and they can say whatever the fuck that they want. How do they wield so much power, though? Yeah, they can do yeah. entire, like, they can organize entire, like, hate campaigns online. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is going back, I guess, to that um, voice of God, you know, telling her the stuff about, you know, there's this you that's always existed on the Internet. Um, and I think that sort of relates back to some spiritual ideas, right? So if we think about the Internet in this show basically being, you know, some sort of spiritual realm the other side whatever um you know i think that idea of like you know you have this like immortal everlasting soul that has just been like deposited into your body for this moment yeah. but then when you die you will return to this thing and i you know i think in some spiritual beliefs it's sort of like you're this unique soul that will continue being that unique soul in the afterlife and then you know in other forms it's more like you'll return back to the universal omnipotent consciousness that mm. kind of like knows everything. And, you know, maybe in this case, it's sort of like somewhere in between where it's like, well, you're the one 
omnipotent person. Like you're this special person who has always been here and kind of like, I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? No. Yeah, totally. And the internet being part of it, like this, this, I guess, comparison of the internet and a spiritual realm, you know, the idea of, of, of a you that extends beyond your physical existence used to be solely the purview of religion and philosophy. But now there is a very real experienceable thing because of the internet, right? Like some people had that because of like books and things, but I guess media itself is a way of like prolonging someone's or expanding someone's existence in the world. Sort of like there's the, you know, you die multiple times, you know, you die once when you, your physical body dies and you die a second time when like everyone has forgotten you or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And the uh, uh, um, as far as like being that special omnipotent person, like the internet kind of gives us all that opportunity, right? Like you curate your feeds, you, you get to define some parts of like what you do mm. and how you're seen online in a way that you don't really get to do in uh, the waking world, because like, you're, you're just more constrained by your physicality. Yeah. And I think that like a big thing about being able to kind of like have that certain image of yourself online is that you can hide so many things about yourself that if someone knew you in real life that you would not be able to hide from them. Yeah. Because you can basically, there's certain things about yourself that you can just exclude from your online presence and then no one ever has to know. And then people yeah. build that image of you in, in their heads based on that very limited information, which also often causes them to like have this temptation to just sort of fill in the blanks too. Yeah. Everybody has their own like headcanon on like different like media figures and like influencers and YouTubers and other like online figures. I think that they're just, just like fucking projection. Let me complicate this a little bit. Ooh. So we're talking about this anonymity thing and there's the problems with it and it's bad. And then it gets destroyed, like whether it's lane or the false lane or something else, people's secrets get revealed and it's also catastrophic. And the thing that was occurring to me was like, I have a massive online presence and mm -hmm. it's with people who have never met me and don't really know, like say the real me, but in some ways they know me better than people have known me my whole life. I'm talking specifically about the trans community. It's like most of the people I know at IRL are cishet folks and they don't really know the real me. Oh yeah. That's, I feel like the show is also kind of like, you know, which, which of the two, which of the different lanes is the real lane, which is the most lane. Sure. And like, I was talking about how damaging the internet is, but of course for folks like us, like I learned that I was trans from the fucking internet. Mm -hmm. It's like, I would never have figured out. I would never have like self-actualized if I didn't have access to like the same communities that Blix is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we get this line from Lane. Well, maybe, maybe I'm, jumping ahead but i feel like it's relevant to what we're talking about but so, so to catch up there where were we i guess lane's got the peeping tom message mm -hmm. she's kind of running out being like you know alice where are you we see her crying outside she gets this message from alice don't worry about the rumors and then she has her like akira moment where she like there's this explosion she's like floating there 
then we get something that I think hasn't happened before where we just have these big red letters saying searching, mm-hmm. which I don't know if she's searching for Alice or like searching for what happened or what the searching is. But then we get this scene of, you know, Alice with the teacher, maybe a fantasy of Alice with the teacher and then evil Wayne there sitting on the bed, <laughs> cackling at her. Yeah. Um, Spying on her. Yeah. Okay, so let's clarify what we saw and then get to what it means. So yeah, the, the digital image, right? Are we for the first time seeing the embodiment of this like false lane or alternate lane? I mean, it's the first time she's confronting it, right? From like the first time we see Siberia, we see another lane that she doesn't remember being at the club before. But obviously other people saw her there. We see her in that So she has this revelation that like, yes, this other lane absolutely exists. She gets proof of it. She is confronted with it. And that's the like, you know, old world annihilating moment. I think that's why the Akira explosion happens. So I'm going to make it even more complicated and say that I think that this is an even other other lane. (gasps) What? Uh, yeah. I was wondering whether that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that there's Lane who goes about her regular life and eats dinner with her, you know, barely their parents. And mm-hmm. then there's the Lane in the Wired, who we've seen, you know, several times, and who is much more confident and outspoken mm-hmm. and willful. And you also saw that Lane in the real world in the scene in Siberia where, you know, she was talking to the guy who like shoots himself Mm -hmm. and she's, I can't remember what she said now, but she like said something to him, like something about like, they're always connected. We're all connected. Yeah. We're all connected. Exactly. That was the lane in the wired voice. But this is the first time that we've seen this lane that has this like really sinister, weird face. And I think it's like a different manifestation. It's like a, and she says to to that version of Lane, like you're you're everything that I hate about myself. Mm. And and I think that is canon. So there is like a like book published about it, and in it it says that there were kind of for the voice actors there there were like three different Lane voices they were told to do. So there's like Child Lane, Advanced Lane, and oh. then Evil Lane. Oh, and so I think this is our like maybe first direct encounter with the evil lane. This is what my speculation was going to be that first I was thinking this other lane was like a manufactured thing or a digital entity or some new commie thing, not communist commie, but like in the Japanese, like pantheon of gods sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 With a K. Yes, Got it. Sorry. But as of this episode, I was like, what if these are just different parts of her subconscious mind? Woo. This is the dark side of her that being on the internet terminally is bringing out, giving voice to. I don't know. And and so so then we get up there to that scene where we have the kind of normal lane fighting this evil lane, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally like they're floating in darkness and she's like choking this person. Yes. And there's this line that says, why are you acting like the part of me that I hate? Yeah. Which is like, I don't know, that rings true to me with my own, I don't know, things that I've done on the internet. I don't know, like, you know, the the XKCD comic where it's like, honey, come to bed. And it's like, not right now. Someone's wrong on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I think like, at least I personally, I feel like I argue about stupid things or like, you know, it, it like does bring out this very like childish part of me sometimes. And I think people do behave really badly, you know, maybe because of the anonymity of the internet or because you can't see the person you're interacting with. So you don't have to deal with any consequences of any pain or frustration you cause them. Right. Like, I, I feel like that's like a pretty, pretty established <laughs> thing that the Internet seems to do to people. I've yeah. never been bad on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have, I think, a pretty different experience of the Internet because I don't participate in like discussions online. So I'm never in an argument with someone online. Oh, my God. The peace that you must know. <laughs> yeah, I sleep very well at night. Fuck. But like you said, Ben, like it can bring out certain things in us, even like more negative impulses. Uh, and that's hyper accentuated because of the internet, because of the anonymity it gives us, right? But that is an observable thing in human psychology way back to like just mask work. Like if you give someone a mask, the things they do change. Yeah. Because there is this certain level of anonymity or even this certain mental switch of saying, well, that's not really me. And this is, yeah, I think it's the thing that social psychologists studied in like these experiments that now would be really unethical where they would have people like standing on the tops of buildings, like they were going to jump or something and then looked at like the different conditions and like how people behaved and like people act like trolls in those situations and like egg people on and stuff like that. And, you know, they showed like when it's like darker and you can't really tell who is who or like once the crowd gets like bigger, so you can't really pick someone out from the crowd that like people start acting that way more. Mm -hmm. There's studies about this too. Yeah. With like masks and uniforms and stuff like that, that like kind of the more anonymous you get this sort of more, dehumanizing people can can be basically but not not just uh an anonymity but also the, the size of the crowd so that's called diffused responsibility and like what bigger crowd is there than the internet the interwebs yeah amazing and it's not so dissimilar you told me about some of your work blicks uh uh in your practice that sometimes you use like archetypes to give yourself permission to feel certain things mm -hmm. or observe certain things about yourself and it's a similar concept, right? That has existed way before the internet gave it this like actualization. Way before Christianity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So we get this creepy scene of Lane with the bobbleheads, with the where they all have her head, except each of them is just spouting rumors again, right? And she decides to do something drastic to prove to herself that the voice is lying to her, that this god of the internet voice is lying to her. But in doing so, it actually works. She decides to delete the memories of people having seen her. And we get, again, those flashing red uh, letters that just say deleting. And then she, we get our final scene. She goes to school and no one's mad at her. No one's side-eyeing her. And her friends are just excited to see her again. But then we get our last weird thing where maybe evil lane or another lane another part of her splits off from her and that's the one that yeah. gets to experience this friendly time with her friends uh -huh. she's cut off from that experience and i don't know whether she's cut off because now she's enlightened or if she's cut off because the regular lane the demure lane her friends that's not who they want they want the raucous confident lane 
this this feels like the most power she's demonstrated now yeah like she's altered people's memories in the real world yeah so maybe this god voice is not lying to her right if she's able to do these things, then maybe she has always existed and maybe she is ever present, which goes with like Gnosticism that we like we've discussed earlier in this episode. It's a theme that we keep coming back to that the soul is a piece of uh, a larger universal consciousness. And by it being in our bodies, that's how we like pinch it off from the rest of it and allow it to experience things separate from that universal consciousness. Um, but I'll, it, it, I think this is a Gnostic belief. It might uh, uh, occur in other religions. But a big part of that is also there's this thing called the Demiurge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Demiurge is the idea of God, the idea of the omnipotent, ever-present being. But it is a malevolent or negative impulse. And so this other lane, this evil lane, reads to me like the Demiurge. It's like part of her, but it's all the things she hates about herself. All of those things that given willpower, she would not give any energy to. Can I, there's something about this scene that I really wanted to talk about. And this is going to both put us slightly over time and also going to be a little bit of kind of like confession time. (laughs) It's okay. I don't know if this has come up in like other episodes that y'all have discussed so far or if you all have seen any commentary about this online, but there is a very common um, thing about this series. If you look up anything in like online communities, Reddit, whatever about it, that they're like, well, Lane has DID. Lane has dissociative identity disorder. And the first time that I watched this show was at a time where I was misdiagnosed with dissociative identity. Oh my God. Really? Yeah, um, in 2005, people didn't understand what being trans was. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm literally, this is a lot of what I'm dealing with in therapy right now, actually. So, you know, when you go to a therapist and you talk about feeling like you're sometimes a girl and sometimes a boy and that you don't feel connected to your name and you feel like you have no age, that you're not connected to people around you and that sometimes you wish your body was different and sometimes you feel like acting like a different person that's a different gender. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't know what the hell that was. I think this happens to a lot of folks who have things that are mental illness that are beyond the usual things that people think about, like anxiety and depression. Um, When you start to have things like flashbacks and dissociation and... Stuff that, like, I'm not going to call it more severe, but is a little less common than what I think is socially sort of, like, known. It's, like, culturally, like, it's not, like, in the in the spotlight. It's harder, I feel like, to get support for that. But also, it feels really fucking weird when that shit happens to you. Because you feel like you're just going crazy. I just thought I was going crazy. But this happens a lot, is that that tends to manifest in folks, like, early 20s. If you have things like CPTSD, um, dissociative identity disorder, like a lot of things like that do tend to, especially if they're trauma related, tend to manifest as your brain is sort of finishing maturing. Yeah, bipolar and schizophrenia too. Yes. So I will say that while that was a misdiagnosis and like I actually just have CPTSD and am a tran. Yeah, you're a beautiful trans person. <laughs> yeah, like, like, it, and funny enough, once I came out and started transitioning, it alleviated a lot of my symptoms. 
can imagine. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say that, like, the way that my PTSD manifests, like, most severely is dissociation, including feeling like like a disconnection from my body and also like stuff around me isn't really happening. And then just like an overall sort of complete emotional numbing. Like that affected me a lot. The scene where Lane realizes, Oh shit. You know, this relief of like, no, my friends don't remember that stuff. Amazing. And then she wants to go and, you know, then be with them. And this other version of her gets to experience that. And so I think that there is, for me, this still lasting, like from a misdiagnosis of, you know, somebody telling me I had dissociative identity disorder. And when I didn't, this kind of like my own paranoia of like that I might one day lose control of myself in some way. Mm -hmm. But then also another side of what that kind of like showed to me was this sort of like feeling of you're present while things are happening to you with people around you, but it doesn't feel like it's really happening yeah no thank you for sharing that yeah this was the perfect episode to have you on for yeah. <laughs> funny how things come together um do we have any more thoughts on this episode Sorry, i've got go a ahead. really so. fucking big ass thought about this episode so yeah there's a huge psychological aspect to the show as a whole and like this episode specifically so it's called rumors right and damien thank you for sharing again and when i was listening to you to share your story got me thinking about a lot of aspects in this show that I feel in real life. Lane doesn't really know what's going on. She is disassociated from her own emotions. It doesn't say this explicitly, but it, this is just what I'm seeing. Not having the, the vocabulary to process what's happening so that you can't even form thoughts about, you know, I'm this or I'm that. And that was relatable to me. So whatever it is Lane's going through, when I see that, I feel like uh, before I discovered I was trans, I only had rumors of something mm. happening and I didn't know and I didn't know how to think about it, let alone talk about it. Yeah. Mm. And this episode felt like there's a feeling of isolation <laughs> and disconnection. And that's what struck me. Yeah, that feels real. So, so we do have one last scene after that um, Lane kind of splitting off which is then you know the the kind of the world gets really washed out lane fades away i think we've had someone kind of fade out of existence almost every episode at this point yeah but this is a new one this kind of fade into white and then we're kind of just like sort of like a hard cut we're at back at lane's room and she's just kind of like staring at this like white screen mumbling to herself like i'm the only me right or or something like that yeah um and so i think you know it, it is like playing with how much of this is really happening and how much of this is laying in her room you know like daydreaming hallucinating whatever right like so did she really erase her friend's memories or did she just think about like what would happen if I did that? But then like, am I even me at that point or something oh, like that? Right. Or like, okay. I don't know. I, I just think they just make it really hard to ever really know. <laughs> yes. What's going on in this show. Solid. Well, that, that makes sense. Cause I've heard from several people that like, you know, you can't really suss out the lore. There isn't a definitive answer. It's about how it makes you feel. Mm. Um, do we want to do the next episode? I think we have Let's to. Do it. Yeah, I think we should. All right. I'm ready. Real good. All right. Three, two, one, play. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's up? This is how you do it, Franks. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you introduce Alien, sure. You're a jerk. <laughs> well, this is very much like the um uh the invisibles aliens. Mm-hmm. What what's the invisibles? Uh this comic book that Blix and I read together. Um Grant Morrison. I would love for you to read it sometime. They are hitting all the big ticket items in like esoteric circles. <laughs> wow, so this yeah. is like a primer for esoteric conspiracy theories. With the sweet side trance beats too. God, what a fucking wild ride. I want to know if anyone from uh, Gynax specifically that worked on Evangelion worked on mm. this. Sounds like an interesting research project. Yeah, Ben, can you sort that out for us? Yeah, none, none of the big people, obviously, but I think definitely like very influenced, it feels like. Well, this thing at the end of a high level person within a company being integral to the development of something. And in this case, the wired this uh, you said this last person was fictitious. Yeah. Masami Eri. Mm-hmm. It's almost identical to Pat Labor, which we've talked about a couple of times that and there it just opens with someone has encoded something into this like system. In that case, it's like the operating system for mechs. In this case, it's the protocols for the internet and then kills themselves or dies. And so the secret, like what is going to happen and and if so, how to counteract it, you know, dies with them. It's actually the an identical opening to Shingo Jira too. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, uh, uh, God, I'm blanking on him, the Evangelion director's, Godzilla, right? Yeah, Anno. Yeah, he wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and man, I meant to mention this before. Another reason why I really wanted you to come on is because uh, uh, Damien is because you recommended to me. You got me to read the book. I think it was Childhood's End. Yes. Okay, which is like about humanity becoming a new mega life form, like a gestalt entity. Yeah, like a hive mind. Yes, and so like, oh my gosh, Mika. When when she started doing the the modem sounds, I was like, oh, she's part of this network. Like her brain is being used to, I don't know, power the wired or something like madness. Yeah, I yeah, there's so much going on in this episode that's just like, I don't know. It's just so weird. Clip show conspiracy theory fodder. Uh, you know, it's like, y'all, yeah, these things are are things that occurred, but also they're like. This is like the the first like paragraph before some kind of wild creepy pasta <laughs> on the interweb. <laughs> when you're talking about her mind being gone and doing the modem sounds, mm-hmm. not that she's plugged in and powering this thing, but she's becoming part of the network. So like part of the clip mm-hmm. show was, you know, the population is reaching, you know, the number of neural network neurons in a brain. Mm. Oh, and that was a thing in childhood's end, mm-hmm. like children's like when the humanity was evolving into this psychic entity, some children just like stopped doing physical things. They would just like sit there and psychically do stuff. But it seemed like their physical body was doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So back when I was pirating MP3s to sign on and be, participate in the server I was using, you had to reserve part of your own computer as the storage for the whole network. Mm. That connectiveness uh, is kind of what came to mind for me. So the the B-plot, the conspiracy document, uh, it, it, it is like this primer on these, cons- these uh, uh, very prevalent conspiracy theories, um, but it's also a primer on like 
the some of the base technologies that allowed the internet to happen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sort of the history of the early early internet precursors. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and all, just that all of these dudes were in some kind of way involved with some, you know, by and large, just really weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're sort of trying to seed the idea that, you know, because we start with the 1947, so it's right after World War II, July 4th, which I thought was funny, Mm. um, that this spaceship crashes, you know, and then these people that were involved on these MJ-12 documents, these men on this government task force that was supposedly talking diplomatically with the aliens or something like that, some of those same people are the people that like shortly thereafter come up with the internet. So I think they're trying to like sort of seed this idea of like, oh, maybe the internet is like alien technology or, you know, whatever the conspiracy term is for that. Ah, repurposed. Has that, I feel like that's come up on this show. Have you said something, Blixa? Is there like a term Why are you for singling this? me out? <laughs> I, in my memory, I thought you had like mentioned something or it was like, or some term for like kind of far future tech. Maybe this was a podcast I listened to. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's funny how, you know, they, the, they have the first little sort of like clip show, which I love that they sort of like make it look like it's this kind of found footage kind of vibe yeah of like the roswelly yeah. kind of thing and then you know lane is like dissociating into the ether in her bedroom and you know it's like what who's there and little green man <laughs> i love that so much because i think that like you know i think there's a temptation to take that like literally mm-hmm. and be like oh, maybe it is aliens but like I think the the better and funnier way to think about it is like the the shit from the wired all of these rumors mm-hmm. are becoming real so it's like bleeding through so all of these people you we heard in the last episode uh somebody talking about um seeing this creepy child dressed in a green and red sweater that like looks at her in her room or something yeah 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 yeah, yeah. At the beginning of the episode, that voiceover says, Conjection has become fact. Rumor has become history. It's literally like memes. The fact that all of these people on the wired, you know, are hearing this rumor, it's becoming real because people believe it is, which is exactly how fucking conspiracy theories work. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what the little alien brand is. I want to voice some of the shit that I've heard that's weird about that. But I want to hear what Ben makes of this first. Okay. <laughs> of what specific? Like this alien or? What was the alien about? Good fucking question. You know, I think we talked in the past. There have been some shots where like Lane's eyes have gotten very big and like her face looks very like alien like. So I think they've also sort of foreshadowed this in these kind of weird ways up until now. Mm-hmm. And we've had a number of times this same scene of like someone coming to the door and looking in, Um, you know, if you think that Lane is having like a psychotic episode, I think this could be just like one of her family members is at the door and, you know, she's like seeing it as an alien or something like that. Or, you know, this is just like her paranoia. But yeah, I don't know. Okay. 
So let me real quick, and then you do your thing. Uh, the the most fascinating thought about aliens I've ever heard, and I, I like it when in fiction they do this, it seems like interstellar travel might not be really feasible. And so, you know, if if time travel were possible, it's much more likely that aliens are actually time displaced things instead of spatially displaced things, essentially. Uh. So I thought maybe, you know, the alien is a human from the far future was the very first thing I was going to mention. That's one of the theories that uh, these little gray aliens, the, the grays are not interstellar, as you said, but they're just us. Uh, there's another theory that they are just um, constructs, right? Sort of like flipped. It's like we are in the real world and then we go into cyberspace and we have avatars and that the, the gray mm-hmm. aliens are like the reverse of that, that there's a different dimensional world and that these physical things come to where we are and interact I don't know if that's where this story is going. <laughs> My favorite theory of, of aliens is it's uh, people's like birth memories. And so it's mm. like the doctor with the face mask covering their like nose and mouth. And then they're like big eyes. And it's just sort of like people's weird traumatic recovered memories. Then they interpret as like an alien abduction. Yeah, there's usually blinding lights. That's um, wild. Another conspiracy that Invisibles uh, uh, mm-hmm. goes over. Mm. So, like, I really like what this episode does a lot because it's funny, like, one of the sort of, like, uh, sort of, like, intellectual inspirations for hypertext in the first place was stuff like Jorge Luis Borges' writings, which, which if no one's familiar with, was an Argentine writer who wrote many things, but like a lot of it had to do with like the nature of the human mind and its abilities to kind of like create other worlds, some simultaneous, sometimes time displaced the idea that like the creation of man happened literally because if one person or entity thought about it long enough, it would come into existence. Like there's so many cool like Mm -hmm. concepts in his writing and, like the garden of the forking path is seen as like sort of like a literary precursor to something like what's his face Nelson's um, like hypertext, you know, theories. But really the the thing that's really cool about uh, Borges' work is like, it's, it's known as like magical realism mm-hmm. in a lot of his work. He includes real shit, like documentary information into like the text and then just goes wild off of that, which is kind of what we're doing here. And I feel like there's other books that do that. If anybody's ever read House of Leaves, yeah, you know, it's like the Navidson record and it's like a book with it's in a text within a text. And it's like there are things that, you know, have occurred in real life or in universe did occur. But then it's like, is this a real record? Are we in a, in a record of a real thing now or is this apocryphal or not? And I like that it's just like, yeah, you could go and spend the next however many hours looking this up on the internet. (laughs) But like, ultimately, it's sometimes it's really hard unless you really know a lot about a subject to know, like, where does the reality end and the fiction start? (laughs) I love where this is going. Um, When you're talking about like things coming into existence because enough people believed them. I don't remember what school of thought that was from, but I do know that there's certain brands of paganism that subscribe to that uh, related to manifestation magic, certainly, but also yeah. this other idea, like the collective consciousness, if, if a, enough of us believe in this thing, like at least some aspect of it comes into being. And 
you know, there's theories about like Mandela effect or whatever that come out of that. But um, there are some scary implications. Like, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of the Abrahamic God. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but this does come up in the anime, right? We're not just blowing smoke. Like the voice mm -hmm. confronted Lane about being able to reshape and create things. You know, I brought up the, the idea of like, so we have the alien here with the alien tech, but then we also have this idea that, you know, John C. Lilly in his sensory deprivation tanks taking peyote thought that like through that he was somehow communicating with these extraterrestrial beings or whatever. And then the sort of the last thing that I think we get in this documentary series or one of the last things is this idea of like um, this eight hertz frequency that's kind of emanating from the earth. We don't know how that's affecting human consciousness and, and the idea that you know, somehow as the number of people approaches the number, I guess we talked about that a little bit, the number of neurons that we will awaken this global consciousness, I guess, similar to the way our own consciousnesses were awakened as our brains form. Yeah. So that's the, the Schumann resonance factor, which is a real thing. That exists. Is it just named after the person who discovered it, I assume? Because it's so close to shaman, right? Like the <laughs> resonant energy of the earth. It is named after somebody specific. But like in the kind of clip show, it says Douglas Rushkoff proposed that idea that, you know, if enough people are on the earth and it, it comes to approximate the number of like neurons in the brain that basically the earth will become this giant you know consciousness this network now i'm like i don't know if that's true i don't know that he actually said that you know you could look on wikipedia i did look on wikipedia spoilers but you would have to go read his papers i yeah i googled it and i couldn't find like like a bunch of keywords like Douglas Rushkoff, neurons, population, consciousness, and like yeah. I couldn't get stuff to come up about that. Interestingly, he um, and maybe you're going to bring this up since you read the wiki too. But he was sort of like a member of the like cyberpunk <gasps> movement of like the early 2000s in San Francisco, and wrote a book called Siberia, spelled like the club in this show. What? That's yes. about the yes. San Francisco like rave scene and how like the rave scene interacted with like the people making all the technology of the internet and stuff. I think that was probably definitely like an inspiration for this show. And and I, one of the things he came up with was the idea of media viruses, which are like, you know, it's basically like like a viral video or something like the idea of. Yeah, like going viral. Yeah. Media that can spread rapidly through these networks and um, like misinformation and social contagion. And this is why our podcast is better than other anime podcasts. No one's talking <laughs> about this. shit. No one's talking about yeah, this. No one's talking about the Schumann residents on there. <laughs> I, I would say I think that I think they're sort of linking two things that don't really have any connection, which is like the Schumann resonance, I think is probably just more like a physical property of the world being a big spinning ball yeah. mm -hmm. and these electromagnetic waves. Like, I think that has more to do with like a compass or something than our brains, but they're kind of speculating. I think we've talked about before how people have wondered, you know, the electromagnetic waves coming out of power lines, how are those affecting human brains? And some people have been worried about how it could influence like depression or mental illness. I think there's really been no good evidence of that but i think there this is sort of a similar thing but it's like oh what if 
this global thing is somehow affecting our brains or what if our brains are somehow contributing to this like global frequency thing. There is some research out of UCLA about this though. So the principle of like phase cancellation and resonance, it's like we do have brainwave activity that correlates with different brain functions. So I can't remember the person who did the research, but they were able to like provoke different emotional responses and like trigger random memories or something, but uh, nothing conclusive, I guess. Mm. Like the bit that happens after that, where they go into the pure fiction, where it's like this character, Masami Eri, is like, okay, well, he he encoded the Schumann resonance factor into the seventh protocol. And I just love that. That is just pure techno babble. I love it. <laughs> so this guy, like the scientist in Pat Labor, like the scientist in uh, Shingojira, they act as kind of a prime mover for the the story right because they are the inception point for these event this like chain of events happening but you don't meet them in the story they are more like god in that they predate the story and they affect it mm-hmm. but their presence isn't quantifiable within the story well well slight spoiler but that is it that guy Yeah, I think if you really pay attention to like the little photo that they showed us could probably work out that that guy that we see at the end is Masami Eri. Yeah. And interestingly, I think it's the same street where Lane has seen like Chisa manifested before. So it's kind of interesting. Like it's like the Lane of the Wired seems to show up in that club Siberia. And then this (laughs) this is the street where she meets supposedly dead people oh yeah she saw the kid looking up at the wires it's where she saw Mm. like we've seen someone like appear behind a lamppost and then we never see them again and 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 so something you know i don't i'm not completely sure about this but so if this guy masami airy uh he put this thing in the seventh gen wired protocol it sounds like maybe they've recently started rolling this out because they said like they ran out of bandwidth in the six protocol or something like mm-hmm. that. And then if that train hitting someone that we saw in the episode was indeed his suicide, um, then it seems like, you know, maybe switching over to the se- seventh gen wired protocol is around the same time all of this weird stuff happened with the wired leaking over into the real world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, everything's connected all the time. So I feel like we did the entire B plot in like one go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Should we do the the other plot now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Lane gets visited by an alien and then has a she had a scene with her parents, right? Where they wouldn't they wouldn't say anything to her. Uh, but as soon as she left the room, they said, like, it'll be over soon. I think the mom was like, let's have sex while we still have the opportunity. Okay, what do you guys know that we don't know? <laughs> Something. Blaine, Blaine's getting no support and no answers from anyone around her. So she decides to go to Siberia and she has like a short conversation with the DJ who gives her a new computer chip inside of a manila envelope. And like even that relationship seems very mysterious. And so she kind of pulls her weight and like grabs one of the the cracker kids 
that um or the hacking kids that she had had a run in before the one that had said like hey do you want to go on a date with me and she brings him back to her house to try to like suss out if this is a good idea to install this computer chip or not then she sticks it in his mouth yeah like as if if she did that it would like do something to him directly as a human i think she was just fucking with him well it worked he spilled the the beans after that yeah, so she's asking him if if he's a member of the Knights and if he sort of was responsible for dropping that chip off at the club, right? Yeah, and he's the one who bumped into Mika, Lane's sister, on the street, right? Before she started freaking mm-hmm. out. Yeah, spilled something on her. Acted like he was surprised that she had the Pishuke processor, whatever, that Psyche processor. Yeah. So I guess that one she got at school, so maybe... He wasn't responsible for that delivery or whatever. Very strange. Okay, so he's been working for the Knights, hoping to become one of them, right? Yeah. And and so Lane brings up this idea that like the only time the you know, there might be these other lanes in the wired, but she's the only real wire the only real lane. And the only times people have seen the other lanes in the real world are when they're at Club Siberia. And I was like, is is that even completely true? Like, what about the creepy lane that we just saw in Alice's room? Is that an indication that that wasn't something that really happened or? Or it's denial. I I think that a little bit of her saying that, because this is the multiple times in the last couple of episodes that she said, like, no, I'm the me. Me, me, me. I'm, I'm the only me here. She's saying it as much to herself as to other people. Mm. And also, I think that there's a couple of moments here where, like, she's not in the wired, but she's behaving in a way that Lane in the wired might, like, where she's very forward in the club um, and says to him, like, you know, don't you owe me a date? And then, you know, she's intimidating him, like, very hard in her bedroom. I think that, like, in a way, it's like those different parts of her are kind of integrating. Hmm. But but she sort of latched onto this idea of, like, there's this ability to delete people's memories or to modify people's memories. So maybe that is somehow explaining, you know, why people have seen this other version of her in real life. It's not that that the lane of the wired had actually manifested, but somehow people's memories could be altered, have been distorted to, to make them think that they saw her there. Right. Maybe it sounds that way to me. Okay. So I don't know if this is, correct or not but i feel this unspoken expectation that we're supposed to root for the original lane to come back and i don't believe that the original is necessarily like the best or the most correct thing that has to always be what what do you mean the original lane to come back like do you think this isn't the original lane that we're we're seeing now it seems like the original lane was either just a normal middle school kid or something completely different Okay, so here's, I haven't seen the rest of this, but based on the Easter egg, or not Easter eggs, but like the breadcrumbs we got in this episode, I don't know that there is an original lane to go back to. Like, I I think that her origin is much more recent than we would have been led to believe, just assuming she's a a girl of that Mm -hmm. age, right? Because we go into this memory thing right near the end where she... It, like views her herself walking into her home with her sister, father and mother kind of greeting her together as if it's like greeting her for the first time. 
She's already in her school uniform and everything. And the father brings her up to her room and shows her her room. And it seems like it's for the she's seeing the room for the first time. So we had theorized that maybe these parents are artificial. Well, maybe like I, I thought the Tachibana, the old guy, was just trying to upset her to put her off balance. But maybe he was really asking the honest questions, the right questions to tell her, like, you don't remember this stuff because it's not there because it didn't happen. And like whoever or whatever you are, you need to start from there, not from this fantasy that you're a normal person. Yeah. That gives me some really uncomfortable thoughts, though. Yeah. Okay. So like it originally seemed too audacious for me the first time I said it, that Lane was like artificially manufactured. And then in the context of labeling like who is like her true self or the real me or the only me, listening to what you were saying, I was like, aren't we all like that? Like, aren't we all just kind of products of outside forces shaping and forming us into something else? And that's, that's not the real us. So fuck this original lane. She's not the real, <laughs> whatever she's evolving into, that's who I'm rooting for. Well, but we all have to, I mean, not everyone has to look at the idea, but if you do look at the idea, we all have to contend with this. Like, how can you trust your own memories? Like there is a certain point at which, for lack of a better term, faith does take over. Yeah, there's no way for me to travel back and make sure that my memory is correct. So I technically don't know that it's not manufactured. And if it's manufactured, to what extent is it manufactured? You know, you could have a wholesale thing plugged into you from the internet, like a whole memory, but more likely it's manufactured by you and your own consciousness. Like the way that every time we remember something, your brain creates kind of a new version of it. Yeah. And as you remember it over and over and over and over, you know, some things lose focus, some things clarify, and it fits more of a narrative than the original fuzzy, messy memory did. Resolution distortion, but in our minds. Ooh. They're, they're treading through like similar sort of like territory um, in this show that Ghost in the Shell, like the, the original 95 film did, which is probably why I got into Lane in the first place is because that was like something I loved so much um, and is probably my favorite film like to this mm. day. But like there's a scene in in it, um, the major, you know, Matoka Kusanagi is like doubting. There's this self-doubt of like, I'm, I'm seeing all these things around me happening where people who are going into the net are being, their memories are being manipulated. And mm. how do I know that I'm human? How do I know if I was ever human? And, and she essentially says, the only thing that makes me feel like I am and makes me believe that is how I'm treated. And Bateau, his response to her is basically, get the fuck over it. You know, you have human brain cells in your head. So if you need something to believe in, that's your material reality. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think it's interesting that you were you brought up like faith. And he's like very matter of fact about it. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you want something to believe in, there it is. So that kind of brings us to our uh, ending scene. Uh, there's some other stuff that happens, but... Um, our ending scene is of uh, Lane speaking to the the god of the internet again. And she's saying this, there is only one truth and that is God, right? There's only one God. And the voice even responds to her like, yes, that's right. So like she is getting faith in something or faith is taking over. Faith is going to maybe give her the confidence she needs to move forward. 
And and the kid, Tara, was saying something very similar when he was talking to her in the room, right? He said something like, you know, there there's like only one truth and like, isn't that like the truth that you want to believe in or something, right? And he never says God, but I think it's kind of very similar to what he comes or what she comes to at the end. So it's kind of back to this idea of like, you know, who are the knights and what are they doing? So are, are they sort of like this religious group relating to this like God of the internet who have, you know, decided Lane is this kind of chosen person for whatever reason? For whatever reason. <laughs> I, th- I think I might be like a weird, I think I do find myself trying to slot everything into something, which I don't know. I don't remember well enough whether it actually does fit with kind of what's canon, what eventually gets revealed. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this story really does a good job of sort of like illustrating, you know, what having psychosis might be like or you know like these kind of major dissociative episodes and i think there's ways you can even slot some of the stuff in this episode like this like memory of her coming back to the house that that could be like her coming back from an institution or you know maybe like a treatment like electroshock therapy which does give people like you know, like memory problems and memory loss. And, um, you know, that a lot of this stuff could just be her, like, misinterpreting the stuff around her. And, you know, like, her parents aren't actually these, like, emotionless robots. But, you know, like, like people have delusions that, like, their parents have been replaced by aliens or robots and stuff yeah. like that. And And so we're sort of seeing this sort of cohesive narrative from her perspective, but maybe part of why it doesn't all completely make sense and something will happen and then it'll kind of like not have happened. Like the explosion is because like we are seeing her false narrative and like, I don't know, the way a person with delusions can kind of like not see the contradictory information and be like, no, but like, yeah, this this is my story. And this is like what's happening. And there's this conspiracy. The knights are out to get me. And like my face was on the TV screen. And like, I don't know, it is this thing. Like if you said all this stuff out loud, like it would sound very crazy, right? Yes. <laughs> and then two, like, you know, there's this like friend group of these girls that, you know, they're like trying to be nice to her. But like she does have this weird relationship with them. And like, like maybe she has done some like messed up stuff while she's not completely been herself. And I think that that's something that, you know, that sort of identity thing, a lot of these like mental illnesses like schizophrenia or or bipolar disorder will have like places where people are kind of like more normal and more, you know, their self in the sense of like a self that can interact with the world and be rational. And then they'll go through periods where they're illness is less controlled and they're like acting, you know, kind of crazier to other people's eyes and might like do things that damage their relationship with their family or with their friends. And it it seems at least it's like themes that they're very interested in this show and that that it sort of, I think, conveys a lot of the feelings of that stuff. Yeah. So 
Damien. Yeah. If someone wanted to find you on the internet, do you do anything? Do you tweet? Uh, do don't you... find me. Okay, you got it. Mm. Uh, and if people liked Serial Experiments Lane, is there anything you would recommend for them to check out? Uh, I did mention Ghost in the Shell, which obviously you should watch. Everybody should watch that film. Excellent. And it's definitely not ever the live action remake. <laughs> Please don't do it. Um, but I think that a lot of people, very few people have seen the second film, Ghost in the Shell Innocence. I know tons of people who have seen Ghost in the Shell. And I'm like, did you ever see the second one? And they haven't. And it is even headier, if you oh, wow. can imagine that. And, but it is so good. So I recommend that. And also the standalone complex show. There's similar vibes going on. I believe that's on Netflix. I think it might be. Awesome. Well, yeah. Okay. Blixa. Leave us a pen. Pen. Pals. Aliens. Aliens. Sorry, I lost my uh, fix it in post. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> <laughs>